Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. Let me tell you something. It is mighty warm down here in America's Georgia right now and you'll hear this. The tinkling of some ice cubes in a genuine ball mason jar full of well water and this is what's going to keep me going throughout this podcast so hang on just a second Mm, that is fine and here's the deal you know you know how some things just seem like synchronicities we get the hottest week so far this year i mean i would call it a real heat wave and of course The home air conditioner went out. So I've been fooling around with that thing. That's why I'm kind of getting this this particular episode out a little bit late. I've been fooling around with the uh, condenser fan blower motor and capacitor. Anyway, we're going to get through this thing. So let's just get to it. If you hear me drinking some of this water, um, I encourage you to do the same thing if you're hot. It, It... it will cool you down internally. Uh, before we get really rocking here, um, I want to th- throw a shout out to the Grass Talk Radio Patreon patrons. And that would be Mike, Tom, Ben, Pat, Gina, and Lori. You guys are making it happen. And I got an email from one of the, uh, I think the most recent patron, uh, a guy named Ben. And I just want to read you a little bit of his email. Hi, Brad. Uh, I just became a tiny patron. So let me interject right there. Tiny is good. In fact, I like like tiny because tiny is something you can maintain. You know, you, if somebody comes along and says, I want to be a $1,000 a month, you know, patron, well, that would be pretty impressive, but I don't know how long somebody could, hold, you know, keep up that routine. So a tiny patron, that's, that's cool too. And I appreciate that. And that's not a big stress on Ben here. So back to Ben's email. I really appreciate all the hard work you are putting into that podcast. I think it's great that you went ahead and bought the unlimited data hosting too. I appreciate the uh, words of support there, Ben. And I'm going to skip down a little bit. He's He got to talking about some of the episodes he has listened to and, you know, why he really liked that one and this one was helpful and so on. And he got down to, you can write a tune. And he says, I appreciated the encouragement to write a tune. I was inspired by the story of your daughter calling the spring, a screw bounce. And I'd forgotten about that story. At some point I told that story of my daughter um, finding a screw on the, on the floor, not a screw, uh, finding a spring on the floor and fiddling around and she was just crawling, you know? And I said, what have you got? And she said, it's a screw bounce. And I thought that was just ingenious. You know, that's just how humans think. 
Anyway, I, I don't recall what episode. That was a long time ago. That was probably back in the early, maybe before episode 20 or so. I don't know. But anyway, Ben says, I wrote a tune called Screw Bounce. I was inspired by the story of your daughter calling the spring a screw bounce. I wrote a tune called Screw Bounce, and I tried to make it bounce and screwy. I will attach a uh, brief draft of the melody of the tune and send a finished version later, I hope. And he, he continued with some more, few more comments, but basically, enjoy your weekend, etc. Well, he did send me, um, he, he's doing the same thing I do. When I write a tune, I like to record it, just, just so I can kind of hear it back and listen to it and maybe play it for somebody else. Say, hey, what do you think of this thing, you know? Or use it to sort out how I want to how I want the chord progression to go behind it, you know, because sometimes you can, you can change the way the chords are behind the song. So having a little recording of just the melody kind of documents the tune. And anyway, he's doing the same thing today. When I finish this episode, I'm going to use his song, his composition, the tune screw bounce, uh, inspired by my daughter, Amanda and her vocabulary uh, exercises at age like two. So we'll close the show out with screw bounce. So uh, Ben, stick around. And I don't know if Ben has that written out or in tablature. Uh, maybe he can write me and let me know if he has that, just in case anybody wants some cheat sheets on this tune. It's pretty cool. It reminds me of a little bit of a tune that I wrote back about 15 years ago called One Lucky Squirrel. And the title of that particular song came from, you know, I'm driving down the road one day and a squirrel runs out in front of the car and he stops and he runs to the right and he Turn, he decides he can't make it that way. He turns around, he goes to the left, then he goes to the right, he goes to the left. He just cannot make up his mind, but he, he, you know, I'm bearing down on him with the car. And uh, miraculously, at the last instant, he scurried out of the way of the car. And I said, man, that is one lucky squirrel. And that kind of stuck with me. So I wrote this tune that kind of darts back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it's called One Lucky Squirrel, which I'll put in another episode. I might have already used it. I don't even remember. But we're not going to do that tune today. Today we're going to do Screw Bounce at the end of the show. And also want to remind anybody else who might have some some tunes or picking or tapes of their band or anything that you completely and totally own the rights to and you want to hear it and you, you think it'd be cool on the, you know, as the closing music, just shoot me an email and tell me what you got. All right, so let's get to the, the heart of the subject today. The title of this episode is To Plug or Not To Plug. And I was going to say To Plug In or Not To Plug In. And I'm not sure which one I'm going to call it at this point. But To Plug In or Not To Plug In, that is the question. And it's a question that I've seen so many times, and I have thought about and wrestled with and come up with solutions for for myself and have advised students on this topic and so i'm just going to give you a rundown of my thoughts about playing strictly acoustically 
or playing acoustically into a microphone. That's one side. And the other side is anything where you take a quarter inch mono guitar cord and shove it into some gizmo, you know, perhaps a guitar or a, or a mandolin or whatever, any kind of instrument that you plug in and you're sending your sound, which isn't sound at all, through a wire. And the next time you hear that thing is will be coming out of the speakers. And so I'm going to kind of debate and just give you some things to think about because I think a lot of people, um, especially beginners, and some people have been playing a long time, and then they suddenly get into a performing situation, and sometimes they're pressured into uh, thinking one way or the other because they want to fit into the group and do the sort of thing that the rest of the members are doing, and they feel like they need to do it and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, I'm going to run down the various options and, you know, give you my experience with the pros and cons of both systems. Obviously, I'm going to start with the acoustic. You know, there was an old uh, John Hartford song. I, I, I just now thought of it. I can't remember the title of it. But it uh, it's the song he did where he pretty much sang the name of everyone he could think of in bluegrass. I just can't remember the name of the song now. I know the first one was Alan Mundy. And, uh, but anyway, in that song, and I'll find that thing. Maybe I can find the little phrase that I'm talking about here and stick it in the next episode or something. Um, he says one of the lines in that song is, uh, and he's talking about why bluegrass is so great. And he says, you don't need an amp and it don't plug in. So that's true for bluegrass. That, that has been one of the things I've always loved about bluegrass is that you could go see a great bluegrass band. Let I'm just going to use Del McCurry. You go see Del McCurry band play. And then if you're lucky, you get invited over to his house on the weekend and they're, they're going to have a little picking party and whatever. And the band is there and they play there. It sounds exactly the same. Now they've got some some sound reinforcing tricks going on there with their band. But basically the, the whole concept of bluegrass is that it be traditional and very acoustic. So typically people just walk up to microphones and play into the microphone and that reproduces the sound of the instruments and the band and the singing and what you hear coming out of the speakers is just a louder version of the band. It's just like, you know, if you put them in your kitchen and they were playing over there in the corner of the kitchen and all your 25 friends were on the other side of the kitchen watching them play, it sounded great. But if you put them out in front of 20,000 people, the guy, you know, the people in the back aren't going to hear them. So they set up microphones all over and blast it out there. But because the rock and roll thing became a thing and rock and roll, of course, is all about plugging everything in and playing loud. I mean, that's the deal. 
you know, you're not going to a rock concert to watch some guy play an acoustic guitar, you know. I mean, they might do it just on a ballad or something, but you can bet. It used to crack me up. They used to have this MTV Unplugged, and they'd have like a rock band, like some metal band or something. They're going to do an acoustic thing, and they'd all be sitting on stools with like white boots on and like... <laughs> And their big hair and stuff, and they'd all be sitting on stools with their cutaway guitars. And we're gonna do an acoustic song, and every one of them guitars was plugged in. You know, acoustic bluegrass is acoustic music, and to, in my opinion, the more you can keep it that way, the better. But I will admit there are situations where plugging in is a good idea. And I have done it myself and I still do it. So let me talk about those things. If you are just playing acoustically and you're just learning and you're practicing at home, you clearly do not need any kind of amplification system at all. You don't need a microphone. You don't need a transducer, magnetic pickup, clip-on mic. You don't need anything if you never take it out of the house if you're playing bluegrass. Now, if I didn't say if you're playing mandolin because you could play lots of kinds of music on the mandolin. You could decide you want to play western swing on the electric mandolin and be Tiny Moore Jr., and in which case, you probably ought to, you know, get you a little electric mandolin and a little amp and, uh, you know, have at it. I'm not saying that acoustic is good, electric is bad. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is if you're going to play bluegrass, the idea is to maintain the illusion that it's acoustic. It's the acoustic sound. That's, that's part of the definition of bluegrass. Of course, if you go to big festivals and big shows and, you know, even some small shows, you're going to notice that a lot of the stuff is plugged in, but it's dialed in in such a way that it's coming across as if it were acoustic. I mean, that's the goal. Okay, so here you are playing in your house. You don't even need to worry about this. And the reason I bring that up is I've had quite a few students over the years guitar mandolin especially not so not so much uh with uh not with dobro not with banjo hardly ever i don't think i ever saw it with banjo and that is the student who comes in for their first lesson and they've got their brand new mandolin that they bought down at the music store and they pull it out of the case and it's a fender some sort of basically el cheapo music store variety fender a style mandolin and it's got a pickup it's got a magnetic wound pickup screwed right to the face of that thing and a and a jack where they can plug that thing in and a volume and tone knob or something you know they do vary or they come in with the guitar you know they've got the takamini guitar with the onboard active electronics and they got a jack in you know in where the strap button is or maybe on the side and they got built-in electronic tuner and they got a little eq and they got a preamp and volume controls and you know 
base and gain, whatever. They do vary. Um, but I see those a lot, and I think, what's this guy need this for? He's not going to be performing for a long time. Now, they're fun to amuse yourself at home. You know, you can plug your El Cheapo Fender mandolin with pickup into an amplifier and crank up the distortion and play rock and roll, you know. But when it when the time comes where you turn into a musician worthy of performing for others, then it becomes an issue, you know, because there are various ways to amplify your sound for the benefit of the audience's ears. So here they are, a rundown. The first, obviously, is a microphone. If I were going to go from just playing acoustically all alone with no no amplification whatsoever, the first thing I would always recommend to someone is consider a microphone and a high-quality cable and something to plug it into. However, most people, when they begin to perform, that's all provided for them. If you do an open mic or if you're, you know, like when we used to play at the Red Light Cafe all the time. They had their own sound man, they had their own PA, they had their own mics. We didn't have to bring anything. Monitors, that, we're just running on the house system. You didn't really need anything. You just showed up, told the guy what you wanted, and he put it in front of you. So, some people might think, oh, I need a microphone, but you may not. Now, if you're joining a band who is performing with a PA, and they're habitually playing in public, and they've already got a little PA thing. Maybe they got three members, and they've got, you know, a couple of instrument mics, and some guy is plugged into the the guitar player's plugging direct into the board, and they got a couple of vocal mics, and then they want to add you to the band, and you're just a mandolin player, and maybe they don't have a microphone for you because they didn't buy it because they didn't have a mandolin player. That would be a good case where you might want to go. Do a little research and get yourself a good quality microphone that your mandolin will sound good over. And you might even end up footing the bill for the extra mic stand and the cable. They might, they might want you to bring all that. They might even ask you to buy your own monitor speaker. When I joined Cedar Hill in 1983, all the guys in the band back about 1981 had all gone in together to purchase a PA. And they funded it through gig money. And when they had enough money salted away, they bought a PA, they bought amplifiers, they bought monitor speakers, mic stands, mics, cables, speakers, cables, everything they needed. They bought all this stuff. And each one of them owned a piece of it. So when I came in and their mandolin player was leaving, I had to buy his share from him. So I had to give him 50 bucks for the monitor. I, I don't remember. It seemed like it was about 100 bucks. That was my price to join the band because I would now be the owner of my mic stand, my mic, my cable, my monitor. And it was funny. That was in 1983 when I finally resigned from that band after 27 years or so. I was still using the same vocal mic. I don't know about the same chord, the same mic stand, 
and the same monitor speaker. 27 years that stuff lasted and very little maintenance on them. You know, clean a, clean a jack once in a while. There were, there were a few little minor problems, but basically the stuff lasted and lasted and lasted because we got really good stuff, good quality, you know, it was ugly. I mean, that stuff was, was, you know, it showed, it showed that, you know, a thousand or 2000 gigs we had done it. It had the scars, the road rash, but the thing was still good. So when I'm leaving, we, they were going from five piece and they were just going to squeeze down to a four piece. So I didn't have a replacement coming into the band. The fiddle player was just going to switch over to mandolin and they were just going to keep rocking as a four piece. And so I was just leaving. So I was like, well, uh, can I have my monitor and my mic stand? And, and I went away with, you know, like, like Navin Johnson, all I need, all I need is this thermos and this paddle game and these matches. That was me. I was going away with the uh, mic stand and the microphone. All I need is this microphone. Anyway, so I, I still have those and they still work. But what I'm saying is, if you join a band, you might have to step up and provide the sort of input material, you know, to get you in, because they might not be willing to foot the bill for you to plug into their board. You know, maybe they got a 12-channel board and they got plenty of openings, but they just don't happen to have anything to hook you up. So that's a time to go for a mic, go for a stand, buy a good quality cable, get at least a 20-foot cord and don't skimp on the cord you know i mean you can buy cheap cords and i've i have run many a cheap cord over the years and you know what cheap cords work just as good as heavy duty expensive cords they absolutely do you just have to treat them more gently you got to be a little more careful with them or you will be repairing them and you know resoldering joints and stuff so anyway, that's the first thing, a microphone. But, you know, if you're, if you walk into a band situation or you get invited to become the guitar player or the dobro player or whatever for your church group or some bluegrass band that's looking to put somebody in, you kind of have to look at what are the rest of them doing and what are, what kind of places are they playing? I don't understand why these uh, church praise bands, why many times you'll see them and everything is plugged in. Everything. I mean, there is not an instrument on stage that isn't plugged in. Now, I'm not saying that's true for all. But if a church isn't just the most perfect, quiet listening room ever created, I mean, probably only playing in the library would be better. You know, it's just not necessary. You know, you can set up a couple of microphones or one microphone or a whole array of microphones. And in that church with that polite, quiet audience, you're not going to have feedback problems. And, you know, it's not like you're running the volume like you would down at the 688 Club. For any of you Atlanta people who might remember that place or the point. Um... I just started hearing a little fan come on. I think my computer's getting hot and a fan came on that kind of made my brain take a pause there. I was like, what's that fan sound? You may hear it too. 
It's just hot in here. It's hot in here. Oh, I forgot about my water. Hold on. Man, that is good. Nothing like water. I mean, water is the, uh, it is the magical substance that keeps us all alive. Okay, so you might walk into a situation where everybody's plugging in. So you feel like you probably need to do similarly. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. I will say if that group is playing a lot of really noisy bars, then you might want to consider it because the plugging in your instrument, first of all, that audience who is probably half drunk, if not completely drunk and making lots of racket while you jam and play and whatever, they're not paying a bit of attention to the marvelous tone of your 85 flat iron, you know, Montana made, whatever. You're lucky if they're paying attention at all. So tone becomes less of an issue. I'm not saying good sound should be thrown out the window, but you know, if you, if you go to see a band and it's in one of those kind of situations where they have a mosh pit, and there's just a lot of racket and the band, the band can be great, but you, you wouldn't probably take a little recorder and try to record this because you know, the sound is going to suck. So my point is what difference does it make if the sound of your mandolin or guitar or dobro or whatever is not at its primo optimum, you know, sound. And the reason for this is if you've got a lot of open condenser mics on the stage and you're playing in a really loud place, just get down there beside that microphone and put your ear right beside the microphone pointed the same direction that the microphone is pointing in, plug your other ear and just listen. Can you hear all those idiots out there? Do you hear those people doing the conga line dance in the back and screaming and whistling and hollering? You hear, do you hear that? Well, guess what? The mic hears it too. And the mic is going to amplify that. I've talked about this in another podcast about how mics don't just amplify you. They amplify any old thing that happens to vibrate their little, um, <laughs> their little diaphragm and coil or ribbon depending on the type of microphone. So don't fool yourself. Don't think your microphone is just somehow magically picking up you in a situation like that in a church, in a quiet, you know, where the audience is just real quiet. Well, the microphone's going to hear everything going on in that church. Somebody drops a collection plate in the back while they're counting the money. You'll hear that. And that Michael hear it but there's less of it. So it's that signal to noise ratio. However, if you go with some sort of transducer or magnetic pickup, or even a clip on mic or an internal mic, you reduce all that external noise. You reduce that in comparison to the sound of your own instrument. So let's talk about those. We got the first is the transducer. 
And what a transducer typically is, is a little crystal. And the crystal, when compressed, produces a very weak electrical current. So if you, if you were to take like a quartz crystal or something and put it in a vise and squeeze it, the thing will actually produce electricity. I mean, it's in the microvolts range and it's going to require a lot of amplification. But transducers are made such that crystals are attached to conducting plates and wires are attached to them and the vibration of the instrument itself will compress and decompress on that crystal and cause a an electrical wave form to appear on the output cable that's what they do now in in good old country boy language you stick them on and whatever you whatever sound your guitar makes comes out of that there jack you know that's kind of and it's true in a sense it's a it's a contact microphone it doesn't require air you know you could say that a microphone is a transducer but there is that gap between your instrument and the sensing element within the microphone your sound comes off your instrument all natural and beautiful travels six inches and induces a vibrating motion on let's say the plate or the uh, diaphragm of a condenser microphone that microphone element converts that transduces that vibration into electrical signals and some microphones produce electricity some just produce variable capacitance and you know there are different designs of microphones but the difference with a transducer compared to a microphone is that the transducer is slapped directly on your instrument and that means it's more likely to hear a lot more of your instrument compared to the amount of audience noise and room racket. Uh, so they're a higher signal to noise ratio. If you, if the noise you're talking about is all that extraneous room noise, you know, the party animals at the college frat party that you're playing for in those kind of situations where you need to crank it up pretty loud, which with a bunch of open mics, you might have a lot of feedback issues, which would limit the volume that you could push. And you also want to limit that. Why are we reamplifying the sound of all these morons in this audience through our PA, which makes us have to turn it up even louder. A transducer cuts down on that. So typically on a mandolin, your options for a transducer are there. First of all, there's, they're a little stick on, transducers they they've had them with suction cups they have them with little putty and they have them that you can literally just glue on and they're just they come in various shapes and sizes and usually it's some kind of a little gizmo that just you stick on the face of your instrument and there's a little wire and then it goes to a little clamp that has a jack where you could plug a cord into it and run it off to an amplifier somewhere that's 
one way. The transducers can also be sort of customized for the instrument. You can buy a mandolin bridge that the upper part, the saddle of the mandolin bridge, already has a transducer embedded in it. And there's a little wire coming off of it. The, the example is the Fishman mandolin transducer. I have one on my flat iron. doesn't change the acoustic sound of the instrument at all. I took the old, old bridge off, put the new bridge on, and the mandolin sounded exactly the same. But I now had the capability to plug in and just go without a microphone. I could just plug in. I could plug into a guitar amp or a preamp or send it direct to the PA, whatever. You could even plug it directly into a recorder. However, while I'm on transducers, they do alter the tone. You know, if you're sitting across the room from some guy playing the world's greatest sounding Martin guitar, and you're about six feet in front of him, and you're listening to that guitar, and you go, good God almighty, that thing sounds good. Now, with permission, go over there and ask them if you can take your ear and press it firmly against the soundboard right behind the bridge and ask them to play it and try to plug your other ear. You're not going to hear the same sound because you're going to be getting the vibrations of the guitar's body directly coupled to your inner ear. And that is a different sound. So when you start employing transducers, the sound changes, the resulting sound changes. And it's not always for the better. But as I was saying, if you're playing for a room full of drunks, as long as the sound is okay, you know, it, it often doesn't matter that much. I've gone to hear some great players. I'll give you a good example. If you go see the Traveling McCurries, they're all plugged in, playing these hippie jam band festivals and stuff. And I'm telling you what, they don't sound as good plugged in as when they're playing with the Del McCurry band and playing with microphones. It just isn't as good. I'm sorry. There has never been a violin pickup or a fiddle pickup made that sounds as good as a fiddle played over a microphone. It just doesn't exist because it's getting a direct sound. It changes it. And they try to put it back. They try to get it as good as they can. But sometimes they're forced by conditions to just go electric. And you might be one of those people at some point in your playing career. And sometimes sort of on and off, there were times I would plug in and times I wouldn't. And it depended on the gig, you know. If we were playing old-time gospel music day at the First Baptist Church, I didn't plug it in. But like I say, if we were playing at the Point, I'd probably plug it in or the Star Bar or something. Okay, so you got transducers. They just stick on or they're built into the bridge or in guitars. They're often positioned under the saddle of the guitar. It'll be a little strip under there that is contains the magic crystals. And there'll be a wire leaving that, which ultimately has to end up at a jack somewhere, internal or external to the guitar. If you buy a guitar that's, you know, like has a transducer built into it, they drill a little hole under there and they run the wire inside the guitar over to the output jack and wire the jack up there. 
But if you've got your, you know, Gibson F9 mandolin and it does not have a transducer on it and you want to put one on it, there's no easy way to get your hands inside there and you don't want to drill a hole through the top of that thing. So many mandolin players run that signal wire. Just It just kind of runs down beside the strings toward the tailpiece. And then you'll have a little clamp that holds the output jack on the side of the body of the mandolin. That's that's the way you can you can put you could take your hundred and forty thousand dollar Lloyd Lore and slap one of these on there and not hurt the instrument at all. But when they're making them in the factory, they can install this stuff internally. And if you don't mind drilling a hole in the top, you can run those transducer wires down through the top of a mandolin. Uh, in a guitar, it's almost always done. There'll be a little hole. If you took all your strings off and pulled the saddle out and you look down in there, there might be a little 16th inch or maybe 8th inch diameter hole. And that's for that wire to go through. Now, the next possible type of, let's say, plug-in device is the magnetic pickup. And that's the type of pickup that is typically found on electric guitars. If you get a Stratocaster or Gibson SG or Telecaster, any, almost any guitar ever made has wound magnetic pickups. And they work on a different principle. They don't sense the vibration of the instrument like a transducer does. What they sense are changes in the magnetic field around that coil. And so they position the pickup near the vibrating strings. And when you make a string vibrate, that vibrating motion of the string, even though it's not touching the pickup itself, it's close to it, it makes alterations in the magnetic field of that coil with, you know, 8,000 windings of this, you know, frog hair wrapped around a magnet. And that creates variation in the electricity that's traveling through that coil. So, look, I'm no expert on magnetic pickups, but that's the gist of it. That metal string wiggling inside that magnetic field, that's what produces the signal which is amplified. So clearly, the acoustic sound of an electric guitar is not the thing that's being amplified. It's the motion of the string and the pickup. So a lot of times, you know, guys spend a lot of money on pickup upgrades and, you know, put in a set of these P90s and, you know, hand wound and all this kind of stuff because that's where the tone is, you know. And strings play a big role if you're going to use a magnetic pickup. And I, I mentioned, uh, well, I didn't say in particular, but I had a kid that showed up for lessons one time with that little cheap Fender mandolin had that magnetic pickup on it. Well, you need to use the right kind of strings because not all strings affect the pickup the same way. Most electric guitar players use nickel wound strings. And if you throw a set of phosphor bronze strings on there, you'll get a much reduced output. The, the, the steel core of the string will still have some effect, but nickel and iron are the things that really, they're the, two common elements that are you would consider magnetic so you got to use nickel wound strings if you're going to 
get maximum output out of a magnetic pickup. My suggestion is make up your mind. You want to play bluegrass or not. If you want to play bluegrass, just leave the magnetic pickups at home because they have no place in bluegrass. Okay, the next way to amplify is sort of a crossover between a microphone on a stand in front of you, and that's the clip-on microphone or the internal microphone. You can take your mandolin down to a good luthier who's done it before, and they'll pull your end pin out of your mandolin and drill, perhaps enlarge that hole a little bit, and they will insert a little six inch long gooseneck that has a little tiny condenser mic on the end of it and there's a wire and they'll put that in the hole and it terminates at the end pin as an end pin jack and sometimes they even have little preamps in them you can have an internal microphone inserted inside your instrument and you know if you got a microphone inside your instrument air is still involved there are tonal differences a microphone inside the instrument isn't going to sound the same as a microphone outside the instrument but it's going to be a lot closer to the true acoustic sound so some of these bands that you see and you know everybody's got a cord jacked into their instrument and you think, well, they're using transducers. They may be using internal microphones, little small condensers inside the instrument because of the tone advantages. In other words, it takes less to repair that tone and make it sound like, you know, your typical front side sound. You can also combine these. You could have both. You could have a transducer and a microphone in the same instrument. This is pretty common in guitars. And then their little onboard electronics, the little controls up on top, they'll have a mix button or a knob so they can roll it over to where it's just picking up the transducer or in the middle it's getting 50-50 or to the right is microphone only. And that gives them tonal variation and also situational variation because Sometimes even that internal microphone will feed back. No question about it. And you can make a transducer feedback. So don't think, you know, transducers are just immune. They're not. But they don't feed back as quickly as an out front microphone or an internal microphone. Okay, so clip on mics, they just sort of clip somewhere on the outside. Of the instrument and they can ride around with you. You got a cord plugged into them or perhaps a wireless transmitter and you can move around the stage and the mic just follows you and it's always the same distance from your instrument at all times. The difference with playing or one of the differences with playing acoustically into a typical microphone on a stand versus instrument mounted transducer, instrument mounted magnetic pickup, instrument mounted clip-on or internal microphone the difference is all of those move with you no matter where you go you can you know turn around face fiddle player walk six feet across the stage and your sound doesn't change but you walk six feet away from your microphone sitting over there on a microphone stand and your sound changes a lot what i'm saying is 
in some situations that's an advantage and some situations it's a disadvantage. I like a microphone because my distance and my orientation to that microphone is my personal volume control. If I want to play loud, I'm going to get right into it. I want to play softer, I'm going to back up or turn a little. So you can mix your own volume level without having to have a volume pedal. If you're plugged into a, to a transducer, magnetic pickup, clip-on mic, internal mic, you can't do that other than by how hard you're playing the instrument. You can get louder by playing harder, and you can get softer by playing softer. But with the microphone, typical microphone on a stand, you can play as hard as you want to six feet away and get a completely different level and you can also play soft. So you have both things. You can still change your amplitude by how hard you're playing and how aggressively you're playing, but you can also affect things by distance and microphone placement can even affect tone. And sometimes too, you can uh, remedy little feedback issues that are coming up just by turning and adjusting that microphone, pointing it slightly to away from the speaker and, you know, you notice when you turn to the right, it wants to ring a little on you. So just don't turn to the right, you know, that you can't do with all this internal stuff because no matter where you go, it's, you know, you're going to get the same basic situation. So those are the, um, the options, mic on a stand or a transducer glued or installed into your bridge or inside the guitar glued on the bottom in, innards of the the guitar in a bass, there's a lot of ways you can put them on a bass. Sometimes they're built into the bass bridge and they'll just have a wire coming out and a little jack that clips on your strings. Sometimes they're little plates that clip onto the bridge. Sometimes they're a little plate that, that rests and is placed under the foot of the bridge or under both feet of the bridge. And uh, they work really good on upright basses. In fact, I'll just go ahead and say this. I think that's the one instrument of bass, guitar, mandolin, banjo, fiddle, dobro, the typical six bluegrass culprits. That's the one that using a transducer on that bass and plugging it in alters the tone the least. I just don't find... You know, it doesn't make the thing sound immediately raunchy, like you've got rubber bands for strings or something. Those bass pickups or transducers work really good. I've got a Fishman on my bass. And, you know, I played the thing last Tuesday night just acoustically in a room with no microphone. I play it over microphones. I've shoved microphones in the, you know, with a piece of foam behind the tailpiece. That works really good, too. I played into microphones on stands, especially in recording situations. But my typical go-to thing is plug in that Fishman and run it to a preamp and then send that to the board. And tonally, I'm always happy with that, but I'm not always happy with the sounds I hear coming out of guitar players and mandolin players and banjo players and fiddle players and dobro players who are plugging in. But again, it depends on the situation. And, you know, as soon as you plug it in, there are a lot of knobs you can turn 
So it just could be that you don't have them set, you know, in a way that's optimum to the way I like it. You may love it. Maybe that's your sound, you know. But once you've gone electric and you've plugged in, you've got additional options. Like if I'm playing my mandolin into a microphone, I can't just throw reverb on it. I can't like have a wah pedal or a, or a compressor. I mean, you could do this stuff at the mixer board, but you don't personally have access to effects. But as soon as you go electric, you do. Now, again, like I said, magnetic pickups have no place in bluegrass music. But, and I also say, neither do, you know, a 20-pedal uh, board full of stomp boxes of effects pedals. But you're going to go play, you know, electric guitar in a cover band. You, you need those things. How are you going to get that distortion and that phase and all that weird crunch and, you know, octave doublers and you know all this stuff my uh my son-in-law is a pedal freak and he gave me a tour of his pedal board i don't even know what most of that stuff does he may not he, well i guess he does know he's kind of a pedal expert but you know you got 30 pedals on this uh on this board and they all do something different so what I'm saying is, as soon as you go electric, you can play with all that stuff. It just doesn't really have a place in bluegrass, but maybe you're one of those people that plays bluegrass and also plays other kinds of music, in which case electric gives you a huge variety of outboard effects that you can add in the chain, in the signal chain, and they include a preamp. That's the first thing. And I'm going to mention that because... Even if you're trying for a really good acoustic, natural sound, which I hope you are, if you're, if you're going to claim to be bluegrass, and you're using a transducer, or possibly even a magnetic pickup, but probably a transducer, oftentimes, and on a bass, this is so true, oftentimes those transducers just simply don't put out a high enough signal level to be at this you know at a proper level for the input of the amplifying mixing board so a preamp is almost always required now a lot of guitar setups they put the preamp inside the guitar and you'll there'll be little controls just inside the sound hole where you may not realize it's in there but the guy that has it he knows he can reach in there and switch it on or off and he can adjust his volume and his tone and stuff like that uh, as a bass player, and I use transducers on my bass at every performing gig over a PA. I have for years and years. I come out of that transducer directly into a stomp box preamp that has a seven band EQ on it. And I've kind of dialed that in so that it sounds like the old K bass. And I've got the level turned up so that I give a good solid signal to the board. And the board, whoever's run the board, doesn't have to do much of anything except just set the volume. They don't have to fool with tone. And I would certainly never add any kind of effects like reverb to bass in a bluegrass band. Um, so a preamp is something you may want to consider. Now, mixer boards do have preamps built into them. Not every mixer, but most mixers today 
have a preamp for every channel. So, you know, when you plug into it, you can have that preamplification, but it may not be sufficient. So a little outboard preamp stomp box type thing will help you if you're a transducer type player. Don't just think, you know, you're going to run down and buy a little Barkus Berry hot dot and stick it on with some of that, you know, uh, silly putty or whatever, and just plug that in straight to the board. You may not have enough signal. You got to be like, turn that up. Is that thing turned on? You know, is that plugged in? And part of it is impedance matching, which I'm not going to get into, but uh, that preamp will take care of making sure that the impedance of the output of the preamp matches the desired input impedance of the board. So just figure, if you're interested in playing in the world of transducers, think about a preamp. Then you can also have amplifiers. I mean, real show enough guitar amplifiers. You can go over and listen to uh, the Truth About Vintage Amps, that podcast that the, the guy over there at uh, Skip, and uh, I forget his name now, uh, that with uh, Fretboard Journal, they have a podcast called The Truth About Vintage Amps. Fascinating podcast. I highly recommend it, even if you don't know anything about it. I love that guy, Skip. can't think of his last name right now. I've been talking too much. Um, anyway, you can take your mandolin, slap a transducer into it, on it, in it, whatever, dobro, whatever, doesn't matter. Get yourself, uh, you know, like a Fender Champ, plug that sucker in and crank it up to 11, you know, and, and rock if you want to. I got to have some more of this water. My ice is now completely melted. I don't even know how hot it is in here, but let me tell you, it's hot. Okay, so that's an option. You know, there were bands back in the 70s and, and 60s, bluegrass bands who were kind of crossing over, who were also playing rock, rock shows and festivals like Newgrass Revival, the early Newgrass Revival, or like the Osborne Brothers, or like Jim and Jesse. You know, if you saw... The Osborne Brothers at a sure enough bluegrass festival, they may come out on stage and play into microphones. But if you saw them at a country package show, you know, back to back with, you know, I don't know, Ernest Tubb and Connie Smith or something, they would be amped to the max and they would literally have guitar amplifiers on stage. And, you know, Newgrass Revival did that, you know, they had... Each one of them had a had a folding chair behind them with an amp sitting on it, and uh, one of them coiled cords, you know, coming out of Sam's mandolin straight into that amplifier, and they could crank that thing, you know. And of course, they would mic, put a microphone in front of the amps to send to the house. But amplifiers are a possibility. Again, in the traditional world of bluegrass, they're not used much. About the only place that they are used fairly frequently with pro touring bluegrass groups is the bass player. The bass player, often being in the back row and almost always using a transducer, will often have a small high quality bass amp like a GK or a Shadow, I forget someone, but. And it helps 
it it really acts as his preamp and direct box to the board the house will get a feed off of his amp but it gives him some control over hearing himself so it's like his own personal monitor system and also bass monitors for the band and it makes the sound guy's job a tad easier because he doesn't have to pump the bass through everybody's floor monitors or in-ear monitors well if they're in-ear i mean it brings up a whole nother can of worms i'm not going to talk about in-ears at this point but it's very common to see uh, bass players carting around a little small amp so they can better hear themselves and so the band can better hear them it's like a personal um you know personal monitor because it's hard to play when you can't hear yourself you know and that amplifier can make that difference okay another thing that you might consider if you decide to be a plugged in bluegrasser is a direct box and a direct box simply converts your quarter inch guitar cable type thing into a three wire typical three pin xlr microphone cable format and impedance so there's a little transformer in there that changes from the impedance of the guitar cable to the impedance of the microphone cable so it's just a way to convert from guitar cable to mic cable and then you can then run that directly into wherever you plug a microphone in now most most professional sound reinforcement people are going to have direct boxes on hand they usually have several so you don't have to have them but you will occasionally show up at a gig and you're wanting to plug in and you got a quarter inch guitar cord in your hand and they don't have a good way to accept your signal because maybe they don't have a, a, a direct box so a direct box is one of those things that is a good inexpensive thing that you just carry around with you and you use once in a while if they are short a direct box beyond that there are also plug-in tuners you know you can have a little stomp box on the floor tuner and you know run your signal chain through it and in between songs you want to tune you just hit that pedal and you can see it and you tune and you turn it back off and usually those tuners interrupt your signal so when you when you hit the tuner it kills your signal to the board so the audience doesn't have to listen to you try to match your a strings and get them in unison it you know it shuts off the signal and turns on the tuner so those are kind of handy most electric guitar players are using those another advantage to the plugged in system despite all the downsides like i said in terms of tone um, is the it brings up the possibility of a wireless transmitter and i played quite a few i mean i've played many a gig playing mandolin with a fishman transducer plugged into a wireless transmitter hanging on my back pocket and that allowed me to move around the stage you know i could face the banjo player i could turn around and face the mandolin player i could move six feet ten feet twenty feet didn't matter i could run out in the audience all right I think I have done that a couple of times and my mandolin still keeps cooking because being all it is is a substitute for the cord it's a radio version of the cord so you got a receiver over the board and you got your transmitter on your hip it's just a wireless cord that's all they do 
and they work really good. Our guitar player in Cedar Hill, he was the first to go plugged in. He had an undersaddle transducer on his Martin, and he had dialed in the tone where it sounded pretty good. Not as good as I think it sounded over a microphone, but it was passable. Pretty good. You know, you think a, he's playing a 51 Martin D28. What came out of that speaker? You know, I don't know. It didn't sound, but anyway, that's my opinion on tone. But what was so handy was he was the sound guy. So when we'd be sound checking, or if there was any kind of issue, or he had any kind of question as to what's it sound like out front, he could just walk to the side of the stage, go down the stairs, walk out through the audience. He could be at the back of the room still playing guitar and hearing what the audience is hearing, and then come on back up, adjust the knobs a little bit, and step right back to his mic, and be ready to sing on the next chorus. So it's very handy when you're running your own sound for your sound guy to be wirelessly connected to the board. Now, uh, there were times that, uh, you know, several of us were plugged in, and there were times I, I fell out of love with being plugged in. You know, I just really did because I started listening to tapes made by tape out from the board. And I would hear my mantle and I go, that thing just doesn't sound that good. And I know how good that mandolin sounds. And to me, you know, I'm hearing the acoustic sound and I'm hearing the monitors and the back of the mains. But I'm not really hearing what's coming out front. But, you know, the tapes wouldn't lie. And I'm like... You know, this is a great sound of mandolin, but it sounds like it's strung up with, you know, tennis racket string or something. And so I finally said, heck with it. And I just, I still have it. I didn't take it off because, you know, once in a while, some guys, is, he's got this blues band. He's like, hey, man, can you get up here and play with us? And yeah, plug me into that Marshall, you know, you know, it's handy to have still. And I still use it for tuning because I have found that plugging into that transducer, which is right in the bridge, and feeding that signal direct to the input jack of a tuner is the most solid way to get really good uh, performance out of a tuning machine. Better even than the clip-ons, because the whole instrument's vibrating, so there's a lot of extraneous uh, harmonic activity and resonances going on with those clip-on tuners. Where when you plug into that jack, you got a lot of signal going into that tuner. So I still today often plug my old Korg CA30 into my N-pin jack on my mandolin for tuning, you know. Um, of course, I got, you know, five tuners in the, in the case, whatever, clip-ons of all description. And, you know, I buy, sell, and trade them when anybody doesn't have one. But... Now, let me just go back and kind of review just a, real quickly the pros and cons of plugging in versus not plugging in, and then we'll get off all this. Um, not plugging in, just playing acoustically or facing a microphone. The pros to that is, number one, it costs less. It, you know, it can start adding up. You, you start fooling around with transducers, especially if you got to pay somebody else to install it. 
and then preamps and chords and amplifiers and direct boxes and pop chords. You know, if people love gadgets, but being not plugged in is the low cost alternative. It's also simple. It's so much simpler just to stand in front of a microphone and play. Concentrate on your playing instead of fooling with gear, you know. Another pro to not plugging in is the natural tone that you can get. Not that you can't screw that up. I'm not talking about you in particular. I'm talking about not that it can't be screwed up by, you know, crummy mics and bad EQ and mic positioning and dead strings. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can affect your tone, but you will get a more natural tone if you play your instrument into a good quality microphone and learn a little something about microphone technique. You know, don't be, you know, cramming that microphone in the sound hole of your D28, you know. And another pro of not plugging in is you have a far greater um, reduction in technical problems. Because you start plugging a bunch of stuff in, you got batteries that are going to die, you got cables that are going to go bad, or, you know, you didn't have it plugged in all the way. And then you plug it in and you blow the sound man's eardrums out and he gives you that uh, go-to H-E double hockey sticks look. I know because I did that about a month ago. I was playing, somebody else was running sound, I had my bass up there and I... I plugged it in. I felt like I plugged in good and solid into his DI. And, you know, he's like sound checking us. And I'm not getting anything on the bass, nothing at all. And I say to the guitar player, hey, hold this bass a second. I'm going to go over and check that plug. And I go over. And sure enough, that thing was such a tight jack that I had about a sixteenth of an inch to go. It wasn't quite all the way in. And I shoved it in. And when I did, it went boom. And I got the look, <laughs> rightly so. Um, I I suppose I should have said, "Hey, uh, am I muted?" But you know, even even after all these years, sometimes you make a mistake. That was a mistake, but it worked beautifully once it was plugged in. But those those sort of problems don't occur if you don't have all those wires and boxes and gadgets and. Nothing like the sound of a, a guitar with a preamp inside it with a dying 9-volt battery. Oh, it'll, it'll still kind of work, but it gets real weird sounding and distorted. and and But the light's still coming on, so you think it's not the battery, you know? You know what I mean? What I'm saying is, you don't plug in, and it's a lot simpler. Now, the downside to not plugging in is that you're going to be more feedback prone in certain performing situations, super high volume, noisy type environments that will be more prone to feedback. Not that it can't be licked. It can be, but not plugging in, you know, at certain types of gigs that can be a problem. And another downside to not plugging in is you can look like a real square, you know, like you're playing with some really hip dudes, man. And they got this bluegrass, they, they play in bluegrass, man. And they're really into it and everybody's plugged in, but you insist on playing over your 
AKG C1000S, and they're like, dude, you need to put a transducer in that thing, man. What I'm saying is, not plugging in might make you less cool, you know. Now, they may have good valid reasons for wanting you to plug in, you know what I mean, uh, because of the types of arenas and places they play and so on. But I'm, I'm just saying socially, you could be an outcast if, like, everybody else got their pedal board and you're over there insisting on playing on an old ribbon mic, a vintage RCA or something. So you might be a square, you know. Okay, now let's wrap this thing up with talking about the pros and cons of plugging in. I probably said all these already, but the pros are you can get some serious volume with less chance of feedback and feedback that can be controlled through EQ at the mixing board. You have a huge ability to shape the tone and let's just throw in a special effects too. I mean, you know, you just start plugging in pedals in. You can play phase-shifted banjo like Peter Wernick if you want to, but it's a lot easier if you're running that through a wire. I think originally he actually ran a phase-shifter on a microphone. You'll have to ask him about that. But it's super easy if you're running a transducer or some sort of anything with a quarter-inch jack. There's, you know, MXR uh, phase pedals there's all kind of phase pedals if you want to be mr phase shifter or mr chorus or mr distortion you know that's a pro to plug it in because it's hard to do that stuff over a microphone the cons of plugging in are the costs the costs begin to add up and there's an added hidden cost of you buy something sorry hit the microphone you buy something and it turns out to not really work the way you thought so you gotta buy something else you know, you buy this tr transducer and you're like, man, this thing just didn't cut it. Well, maybe I need to buy this other one. And then, well, maybe I need this preamp. And then you, because it's new to you and you don't really know how to use it, you only played it at one gig and, you know, you got some bad opinions from somebody in the audience and you think, well, maybe it's this thing. Maybe I need to buy this $229 one instead of that $49, you know. So there can be hidden costs and you become like a collector of all these gadgets and stuff. And that can cost a lot of money. If you got a lot of money, cool, you know. But if you don't, you can eat up a lot of money as soon as you start plugging things in. You have maintenance issues, too. Got all those batteries to deal with, or the battery replacing wall wart, you know, and all their little interconnecting wires and your cables, and you got to tote around more junk with you. And the biggest con of all is the unnatural tone that I assure you, you will get. Okay, so enough of that. Um, <laughs> Gonna go out. Last thing I'll say on this to plug or not to plug is don't rush into it. And you know, if you're not performing, it's really not anything you need to worry about. Just concentrate on a good acoustic instrument and work on your technique and sound. And the first step, because you know, in your early performing phase, you're mostly going to be playing over other people's microphones. So learn a little something about mic technique. And one way to do that is to perhaps the first thing you might acquire would be 
a good microphone that is well suited to your instrument and perhaps a stand. Because there might be situations where they just simply don't have what you need. So that's where I would start rather than these magnetic pickups and transducers and clip-ons and internal mics and, you know, amps and all that kind of stuff. If you're playing bluegrass, of course. All right, so let's finish up here. We're going to go out with that the tune from Ben, written by Benjamin Warner. This little tune, and before I, uh, before I play it, let me just thank everybody who has become a patron. You can go to Bradley, oh, I'm sorry, you go to patreon.com slash Bradley Laird, and you can be a micro patron or a mega patron. Uh, every little bit helps. And also, if you're looking for some good quality instructional material, go wander around bradleylaird.com. All right, so let's take this episode out of here. I'm about to roast. I'm, you know, somebody needs, needs to baste me with um, gravy and put some salt on me and probably turn me. It is some kind of hot in here, but I didn't want to run a fan or an air conditioner because of the noise. So I'm doing this. I am suffering for you. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed the show and we're going to go out with the, the tune, an original tune written by Benjamin Warner called screw bounce. Here we go. <laughs> 